Okay, our sermon is based on Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. And to get us started, uh, the summer before my senior year in college, I was age 21, I uh, saved up like $700. My dad took me to a jewelry store that's still located, I think it's still there, on Dobson Road in Mesa. And I bought this engagement ring that she still wears today, thankfully. <laughs> a couple of years after this, though, Erin, I don't know if you were working in the kitchen or what was it, but she looks down at her finger at the ring to realize that one of the prongs had either been bent away or broken off entirely. I don't know. I can't recall which. And the, the diamond was gone. An engagement ring without a diamond. So we looked high and low, up and down, left and right, everywhere. We're just like, where is the diamond? We can't find it. Nothing. Just after days and weeks, absolutely nothing. Well, at that same time, we had some friends from Northern Ireland, and their little three-year-old daughter was praying feverishly that Miss Erin would find her, her missing diamond. And I don't know, one day she walks in to the, uh, to the closet, I think it was, and there, sitting in the middle of the floor, you know, voila, almost like an angel had placed it there, was the diamond. And we had checked the closet. We had checked everything a you know, hundred times. And yet there it was um, in plain sight. The word that is up there, that five-letter word, might be the best word in the English language, found. Like, what's so amazing about found? Oh, whenever you lose something, your world stops, doesn't it? I mean, you lose something that's truly valuable, like amazingly valuable, uh, Your dog runs away. Your dog is lost. Your child is gone. Your child runs away. Your child is lost. I mean, nothing is right. Your world stops until they are found. What is it that found feels like? How how do we describe that word? What what does found feel like? The best I could come up with is that it's some combination of ecstasy and relief. Uh, It's it's better than, I don't know, Scoring the game-winning touchdown in the football game. It's better than standing up on stage and receiving a standing ovation because that's ecstasy and everybody's praising you. But what's so rich about found is there's relief, this warm, golden feeling that comes and, and engulfs you as the person or object you should never have been parted from. You're parted no more. You've got them back. There's nothing better on earth than found. And what I want to try and convince you this afternoon is there's actually nothing better in heaven than found. On earth as it is in heaven, actually. Like, found is the best up there, too. Luke 15, 1 through 10, two parables of lostness. They're parables of stories that Jesus tells involving lost things being found. Uh, We get the context in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so Jesus told them this parable. He said, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. 
Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me! I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Uh, Lord, thank you for your word. You, you describe it elsewhere as, as like a sword that, that divides, um, or not like a, a, a hacksaw, uh, not like a machete, but more like a scalpel that is able to cut precisely inside of us and, um, and bring about healing. And so we pray that in these two parables, you would give to us something of your heartbeat for th- for things and people that are lost. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a very simple sermon. It's not sophisticated today. Uh, I don't know if it's ever sophisticated, but point number one, simply this, Christianity is the religion of the lost. You know, Some people spend their whole lives thinking that Christianity is for good people, but that's, no, it's not. It's for lost people. It's for the lost. It's for, well, Jesus just told us, it's for sheep that can't find their way back home. It's for coins that, it's not like a coin's going to jump back into the purse of its owner. You know, the qualification for becoming a Christian has never been, are you good enough, but are you lost enough? And maybe you might say that's what's so so ridiculously hard about becoming a Christian today, because that's a high bar to, to, bar to clear. I mean, most people, either they don't know that they are lost, or they don't want to admit that they are lost. I mean, they're like husbands and in directions. <laughs> no, no, I got it. I got it. No, I don't need to know, ask directions. No, I know where we're going. I know where, well, no, you don't actually know where you're going. Um, and that seems to be something about the cultural moment today. You could talk to, and you do talk to people, and they're like, my marriage is a wreck right now. My kids are a disaster right now. I don't even want to get out of bed in the morning. I'm so depressed. I have lost the joy of life. But if you were to ask them, okay, are you lost? I mean, nobody says that. Even if someone is totally faded out on the inside, our culture has, has kind of taught us that if you are faded out, if you've lost the, the, the viva for life, then just double down and work at it on your own. It's like, I'll just figure it out myself. I'll, I'll take care of it myself. So these parables of lostness are, are actually part of my favorite section in all of the Bible. There's three of them. You've got the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and then there's the parable of the so-called prodigal son. But in that story that Jesus tells, he doesn't say, once upon a time, there's a father who, ha- who had a son. No, he says there was a father, actually, who had two sons. And one of the sons you know, heads away from home, taking his inheritance and squanders it on wild living and all this, that. You know, he's, he's uh, with prostitutes, and he comes back to his father. Um, and the father celebrates. He throws a feast over him. And then we're told these words. So that was the younger son. When the older brother came near, he heard the music and the dancing. And one servant said, your brother has come. And your father killed the fattened calf because he is, he's now safe. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So the father comes out and pleads with him. And the older son replies, all these years, I've been so good. I've never disobeyed you. And now the son who has squandered all your property has come home. And you killed the fatted calf for him. You never did that for me. 
I will not go in. And Jesus' point is simply, it's obvious, like both of the sons are lost. There's two ways to be lost. There's younger brother lost, where you know you're lost because of your immoral behavior, your you know your squanderous living. But you, he says, you can be equally lost because of all your damnable good deeds, <laughs> all of your good behavior that produces you know, a self-righteous, you know, cold heart. Christianity is the religion of the lost, and I think it's easy to lose sight of that on Sundays when we all come and we, we dress up and we sing s- songs and we try and pray. and we, 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 we Generally speaking, we, we make ourselves look our, our best. When somebody comes in from the outside, that they, they may never have any sense that, what, oh, you people were lost? You're lost and now found? And so here's one of the things I'm, I suggest that we should try as part of our worship service. And I, I've been thinking about this. I really appreciate Dave preaching last week because it gave me an opportunity to think about a lot of things. And, and one of them is this, like, why don't we, one Sunday a month, why don't I interview one of you for five minutes or so, five to seven minutes, and you tell your story of, of how you were lost and now you are found? Because that thing that's being described is, is really the genius of our faith. It's the beauty of Christianity. Lost and found stories of like how God found you. And what'll be fun is you'll discover that we all have different stories. <laughs> you know, some of us, we come from really hard backgrounds. We, some of us were prodigals. We, we squandered all kinds of advantages that were given to us. And we strayed away. Uh, we were younger brother lost. And others of us grew up in the church, and because of our goodness, it took a really long time to realize that we, we were still lost. And, and we can't be our, our own savior. But if you're a Christian, every one of us has a, a lost and found story to share. And really, it shouldn't only be shared, you know, on Sunday in church, but it's, it's something that needs to be narrativized if there's such a word. Like, we need to have that narrative in other parts of life as well. So what's yours? I'm looking forward to hearing it. Christianity is original to us. Number two, the Christian God relentlessly searches for the lost. The way I want to introduce this second point to you, um, kind of funny, but one of the ASU students that I disciple on a weekly basis, this guy was sharing the parable of the lost sheep to another student who had never heard of it before. You know, most, a lot of college students, they know nothing about the Bible. It's just it's strange, unfamiliar. They, he shares them to, to, with them the story of the lost sheep. And he says, I want to hear your opinion on this. Let me hear your thoughts. And the guy, you know, pauses for a second. And, and then he's like, well, it sounds kind of dumb. <laughs> Like, why would, why would a good shepherd leave 99% behind to go after the 1%? Why, why would he spend all his time and energy on one? That seems like a, a poor allocation of resources. Like, you got a 99% retention rate here, Mr. Shepherd. <laughs> You'd think that, that he would be satisfied with that. You've got 99. Why deviate? Why does God deviate? Why does he leave the 99? To go after the one, it's because he treasures every one of them. He treasures every single one. Like, what we believe about our God is he can't stand to lose even one. And the good news that I want to share with you this afternoon is that this God who I just described, he's not only devoted to finding people in general, 
but he is ceaselessly devoted to finding you, <laughs> like even you. Um, in both of these parables, you probably notice how, um, how the, the person misses items even though they're relatively insignificant in value. Like, okay, it's only one sheep out of 99. That's not a whole lot. Or it's only one coin. It, it, it was a denarius. It was a single day's wage. Like one coin out of 365. And yet he, he won't rest until those are found. I just want you, I want you to realize, to never forget like how important you are to God. Even though it probably doesn't feel that way, Many times, and even even though you may not feel like that right now, um, there is a God who 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 loves you so much, who 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 loves to forgive all of your transgressions. There is a God who says you cannot go too far away from me. You cannot do too much to turn me against. Like there is a Jesus who is looking for you, and He will always look for you. And for some of you, he's been looking for a very long time, and he's, he's even searching through my words that I'm speaking to you right now. But he, he is a God who will not rest until he brings you home. Um, I wonder if you notice, I forget the verse, I should have put it um, on the screen, how the shepherd brings the sheep home in the story. Little old peep lost her sheep and can't tell where to find them, but leave them alone and they'll come home wagging their tails behind them. Jesus says it's a lie. That's not how sheep come back. Like when sheep wander away, they're not coming back on their own. It, what was the verse? Does anybody have it? It says the shepherd, he literally hog ties the sheep and puts it on his shoulders. <laughs> and it's the shepherd who carries him all the way home. Um, verse 5, and when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Um, and he wants to do that with you. And I believe he wants to do that with everyone. Like, we live in, we're in a metro of 5 million people. Like, 5 million people. And he's not satisfied with, you know, 5 million people going to hell. He really wants every last single image bearer on this planet. I want to say one more thing to those of you who have children who have um, strayed away from the faith, who are, are kind of like lost sheep. Um, you know, when I talk to Christian parents whose children ha- have gone away and ha- have kind of walked away from Jesus, the, the Christian parent will tell me that's the, the greatest sorrow in their life. There is no sorrow more, more powerful or poignant. And there's nothing that a Christian parent wouldn't do for them to come back to and receive the life-giving grace of Jesus. Like, you would literally amputate your arm if it would mean that they would come back. If I'm describing you, or if you're listening to the recording online, if I'm describing you, I want you to know I'm so sorry, and you are not to lose hope. Like Jesus in this parable says, do not lose hope. Do not lose hope. I will not rest until they are found. I am the kind of shepherd who finds it completely unacceptable that even one of my sheep would remain lost. Don't lose hope. And, but also realize that you're probably not the person who's going to go and, and get that lost sheep and bring it back home. You're not the one designated by God to do that. Most likely, most likely, what you need to be doing is praying for the Christians that are out there who will. Like that other Christian couple, that, those other Christian friends, that, that other Christian church, that, that community, like be praying for them. Um, and don't lose hope. Pray for those who are go, who go out searching. And then the last thing I want you to remember, I really want all of us to remember this, is 
There is a Christian mom and dad in Iowa right now who had a son or daughter move to Phoenix, and that son or daughter has gone off into the far country and straight away. Like, wouldn't you want to be for that son or daughter what you want, you know, some other Christians to be to your child? Like, that's the great invitation. Uh, if it's not a child, what if it's a friend? And you've got a friend on the other side of the country, and, and they've w- wandered away, and you just, you just wish that there would be some Christians who would come and really love them and really embrace them. Why not be that to somebody else's friend that is here? Uh, point three, if the Christian God relentlessly searches for lost sheep, lost coins, and lost children, like, shouldn't we? Like, shouldn't that be a significant part of all of our lives? Uh, what happens in our Christianity is we, we tend to think that, like, the significant part of my life is, is, like, my prayer life, my Bible study life, my going to church, my reading Christian books, my listening to Christian podcasts, my, like, all these kinds of things. Like, there's very few, very few Christians are out there that say, like, one of the most important parts of my following Jesus is that I would be a searcher, too. Like somehow that, that impulse just, it, it somehow dies inside of us with time. Like I wish, I hope, I pray that we would become the kind of church where we, will, where we were like, we will do anything short of sin to help find a lost child. We will do anything short of, we will, we will embarrass ourselves, we will waste our time, we'll do lots of things that fail maybe, but we'll do anything if it means that we could, we could find one lost child. Because everybody out there is somebody's child. Everybody out there is God's child. We will, we will search among the five million people that are here in the valley. Like, couldn't that, shouldn't that be part of why you have a church plant? <laughs> like, that is just baked into the church's DNA. I, I hope that that becomes true of us. Like, it happens on, on at least two levels. One would be just individual initiative, uh, individual conversations, asking great questions of other people. I'm not going to talk about that side of it right now. I hope I'll, pre- I'll preach another sermon about that later. But what I really want to talk about is group initiatives. And again, because Dave preached last week, I had way too much time on my hand, uh, hands to think about what are some possible group initiatives that we could take um, in order to be searchers. Because I gotta think, in a city that is this big, there's, there are people out there that, that are like, you know, if I knew there were Christians like you, I would wanna come be part of that. Like, if I knew that there was a community like yours, if, if I knew that there were people who cared about, um, multi, multi-ethnic expression of faith, multi, multicultural expression of faith, care for the poor, contextualization for the next generation, um, Jesus supreme, the grace of the, like, if I knew that there were people like that, I, if I knew that God could be encountered on a Sunday, I would want to be there. there there's got to be somebody out there like that, right? But the challenge that we face is, is pretty obvious. Like, they're not going to find us. <laughs> I mean, it's not like we can go out and, and spend a bunch of money on Facebook ads or YouTube ads or like drop tons of money on marketing because we don't have tons of money to, to do it that way. Um, you know, and it, if you say, well, well, they can just find us online. They can go to the church's denominational church directory and look us up. I mean, if we think that that's, 
a winning strategy, then we're we're playing from a different playbook. It's it's not like we we do have to be proactive. And so here are a couple of ideas. Here are a couple of ideas that I have on on how to do so. You know, the, by far the biggest factor of anybody ever coming into a Christian community is just word of mouth. It's you have about anywhere from uh, ten to twenty five people in your sphere of relationships that you, you know, you can have a relationship with and you can talk to about Jesus and you talk to him about our community. But there, at the same time, there's only like 25 of us here today. So there's only 25 mouths to, to do word of mouth with. Like we've got to do something more than just our mouths. And so here are my group initiatives. Number one, and I should have put it on the screen, but I didn't. When you talk, when I've heard other church plants do things out in the community, you would think that it needs to be maybe big and sophisticated. And they're like, no, it really doesn't. I mean, if you just simply put out a table at a park and hand out otter pops and not look scary and and then smile and be friendly, like you'd be amazed what basically otter pops and free face painting will do in terms of people. What, what they will they'll they'll take note of you. That got me thinking. I was on a run last Sunday, and I run, ran by the Chaparral Dog Park is about a mile from here. It's 6.30 in the morning on Saturday morning. It's Sunday morning, too. That place is mobbed with every demographic of the city that's, that's reflected there. And it just got me thinking, and all my best ideas come when I run. So it got me thinking, like, why not just put a table up outside of the dog park and have, like, free coffee, at that time of the morning, and free pup cups, and free, you know, dog bones, and you have a few signs up. Maybe they say, like, we're just a, we're a new Christian community, a church startup in the area. We promise we're not weird or cult-like, or we're just normal people here, um, and we've got a spaghetti dinner and discussion that's coming up on Thursday, or, and we meet for worship, and it's just like simple stuff, right? But just to make yourself known to those in the neighborhood, that was one idea. That was probably my, maybe my best idea. And so if you're thinking at this point, oh, no, <laughs> that's his best idea. <laughs> well, we got a problem, don't we? But number two, this is a little bit more involved. But, you know, you could, we could easily like, make up door hangers. Um, those costs do cost some money, but you put up door hangers and you don't invite people t- to worship no, you invite them to a touch point that's affecting like everybody in our society. We we could run a seminar or a series of classes on mental health. You know, I mean, what family in Amer- in in Scottsdale or the Phoenix Metro hasn't been affected by just a complete crazy deterioration of mental health, right? Or suicide or something that we could invite them to. Uh, or, you know, uh, one of the biggest problems we have is we our culture right now we can't get along, uh, and so what about teaching people conflict management? Like I would probably go to a six week class or a two hour seminar on like how do I resolve conflict because I got conflict. You know, this is the typical person: conflict with my spouse, conflict with my kids, conflict with my boss, conflict with you know. There's all of that, right? And so you you invite them in. Um, you know, one church planter said to me, like, in an increasingly, in a post-Christian society like we are in, 
You, you don't normally get people who are away from Jesus immediately or directly into church. You get them into something that they, you know, are able to engage with, like I was just describing, or you get them to go paint with you and serve in South Phoenix. You get them some into something before they're going to even trust you in order to come into a church. And so that would be number two, the second idea. The third one, and, and I'll just stop with this. Uh, there is a tr- another church plant in South Scottsdale called South Scottsdale Presbyterian, pastored by um, Jackie Parks. She's wonderful. They help run a day shelter for the homeless on Mondays that we serve at. But their group came up with a, what I thought was a brilliant idea. They've got a lot of runners in their community, and so they were like, well, why don't we just do a turkey trot on Thanksgiving morning? Because those are fun, and we can invite lots of people to a turkey trot and just you know, run and, and then have like some celebratory food afterwards. And, but they were looking, what they were doing, this is what I appreciated. They were looking at their community. They were looking at the giftings and the interests of their community and saying, okay, what do we have, you know, to offer? Do you have a better idea? I, I mean, I am, I am ears wide open to better ideas. I certainly don't have the corner on, on good ideas. I don't even have the corner on like so-so ideas. Um, but here's the thing. We don't have anything to lose. I mean, other than it's uncomfortable to, to do some of these things, sure. And it might take some, a few hours and it takes some planning and it may, may not work. It, it may be a complete failure. Um, you know, it, it always feels more secure to just go to church and hope that, that sheep wander into, through the doors. The only problem is that might have worked in 1970s America. Like, that's not how missionaries operate. That's not the world that we're living. That is not the world that we live in right now. Like, what we really do need to increasingly, and I say we, all the churches in Phoenix, need to increasingly encourage Christians to, to like, think like a missionary, live like a missionary, Um, not like a colonialist missionary, but, like, somebody who is in a different culture that is far away from the Christian God, how do we make bridges in our lives and in our community to them? Uh, this, that was caveat number one, by the way. Caveat number two. So number one, it was just uncomfortable, I agree. And number two is not, not everybody here has to do all these. Like, <laughs> I mean, we can divide the labor. We could set up just a, it would be a good idea to have a prayer group who's praying while we're out of the dog park or something. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, it, it really is, a matter of prayer. Prayer has to do the work. Um, so yeah, if you're hearing me say, every one of you has to part- take part in these initiatives, um, I'm not saying that. But friends, if the Christian God relentlessly searches for lost sheep, coins, and children, isn't it incredible that we get to be his shepherds that go out into the field? We get to do that. He didn't assign that. He didn't assign that to anybody else. He assigned that to us. We get to be the shepherds who go out in the fields. The women who, who, you know, get on their hands and knees and they light a lamp and they're scouring, uh, the, the ground and, you know, their, their ground was just dirt. And so they're sweeping through the dirt. We get to be the woman on her knees and we get to be the father running out with arms wide open, greeting his son. It is, it's incredible that that is what you and I are invited to do. I'll finish with this. There was a famous, pastor, um, church starter. Okay, I'll tell you who it was. The guy who started the Salvation Army, which is a church, by the way. Salvation Army um, 
William Booth. William Booth purportedly said that he hoped that every pastor and missionary, before they were sent out into their calling, would be draped over the fires of hell for 24 hours so that they would feel the, the weightiness, the enormity, the heat uh, upon their task, which is a really grim way of putting it. A far better way, consonant with this parable, is like, I just wish that every Christian in Phoenix could spend 24 seconds in heaven to hear about the joy <laughs> when lost or found. Did you notice that's what Jesus, that's what he's highlighting he, there? That there's uncontrollable joy, uncontrollable joy in heaven. Uh, point number four, and it's coming. Uncontrollable joy in heaven when the lost are found. That's what he said in verse seven. Luke fifteen seven. he writes, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And then Luke fifteen ten. in the same way I tell you there is rejoicing in the presence of angels over one sinner who repents. And a repentance is just, it's this process of going in one direction and saying, you know, I am lost. I need to turn. And it's going the other way, back to Jesus. You know, you can avoid God by your bad behavior. You can avoid God by your good behavior. You can say, no one will tell me how to live my life. I'll live it on my own terms. And you can say, Lord, you shall never wash my feet from earlier today. One of the curious features of, of mankind is we are mimetic. We... We can pass things to one another, like if I do this. Anybody going to yawn with me? There we go. We got a yawner in the front row right there. We can pass yawns to one another. We can pass celebration to one another. Like joy, celebration is contagious. Um, I... We can, we can spread laughter to one another. Like when one person is laughing in a room, it's amazing how that can trigger another person to laugh and another person to laugh and another person to laugh. What I want you to imagine is you're in heaven right now and there are millions upon millions of angels in heaven and one of them way over there begins to celebrate and you see a few angels' heads turn. Oh. <laughs> And it's like this ripple effect of angelic celebration. It's, it's coming down, down the road, just angel after angel after angel shouting and laughing and clapping, just a wave of celebration through the ranks and ranks of heavenly angels. Why? Because one is found and another one is found because found is the best feeling on earth and found is the best feeling in heaven. And I will ask you this. Who did the celebration begin with? It went to the first angel. Who shouted first? Who, who started the wave? Who started the clap? Who head after head turns to the next and to the next until they see the shepherd on the throne who left the 99 to find the one who says, rejoice, rejoice with me. It's the shepherd who always rejoices first. It's the shepherd who always rejoices first. Amen.